Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Pitchfork's best album of 2004, the debut album by Arcade Fire, Funeral. Micaiah, what do we need to know right up front about the debut album from the indie darlings well as you said it came out in 2004 and i mean i mean i guess we should start with what do we need to know about arcade fire um before this they had an ep um self-titled ep that was actually like seven songs and over 30 minutes long i mean it's basically an album did really well and they signed on to to merge records um because of neutral milk hotel then 2004 comes along and what's called, you know, one of the best debut albums of any band is, is this one. You know, you, you look at the list of best debut albums, best debut albums of the decade, debut albums of all time, and this is in the ranks. It's a very strong, it's a very strong start to a career. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. And going back a little bit more about the band, uh, they are Canadian. Um, and there is a husband and wife duo in the band. Uh, she is from Haiti. So, and, and then lives in Canada. So a lot of French, uh, appears in a lot of arcade fire songs. And, um, there's also two brothers in the band, Will and Wynn Butler. They are actually from Texas and that comes up a lot in their first EP. It's really funny I listened to their first EP a couple times getting ready for this. It's interesting the mentioning Texas in one song. And then by the very end of it, like explicitly mentioning the suburbs, but like it really sets up their whole career thus far pretty well uh, that, that one EP. So, I mean, it, it holds up because you can really kind of see exactly where they're going to go, whether they plan on it or not. It, you know, it's a pretty self-fulfilling prophecy um, no matter how intentional uh, but yeah, so funeral. I mean, it's. I mean, it is a era defining album. On one hand, it's very kind of straightforward indie rock, but um, it's more anthemic than indie rock had been before. This is the only indie rock album I can think of that's had a song used in the Super Bowl in a Super Bowl commercial. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's it's really epic. Yeah, there there are a lot of fun ways to describe this band and this album and. Uh, I'm very excited to to dive into it today. Guest free, by the way. Yeah, guest free. This is our first guest free episode of 2022. We'll have uh, guests in our on our next few episodes, and we're so excited about some of the guests we have lined up. But Arcade Fire as a band, and I would say probably this album is is also pretty personal to us. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's, this is this is a very personal album to me. I can remember when this album came out. Weirdly enough, this is the album that you know we we referenced it being Pitchfork's album of the year in two thousand four. I think this was the album that I first got into Pitchfork uh, because mm-hmm. a, a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, you've got to you got to listen to Arcade Fire." And he basically forwarded me the review in an email. It was the first time I'd read anything from Pitchfork. And then, of course, later the year, later in the year, they named it their album of the year. 
And then the following year, they named Illinois, come on, feel the Illinois by uh, Sufjan Stevens um, as their album of the year. And so for those for those first two years that I was reading Pitchfork, I was like, oh, man, I I love this there. They totally get me like Arcade Fire and Sufjan like I'm I'm totally bought in. But man, this is this is an album that I deeply love. And it is interesting to think of an album called Funeral, an album that, at least on the surface, feels like it's going to be pretty heavy, like like a pretty dark album. But the reality is it's it's pretty upbeat, it's pretty optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the album name comes from the fact that uh, there were three different family members of uh, family members of bandmates who had died in the run-up to recording the album, the album was recorded in a week for $10,000. And so, I mean, you want to talk about being indie darlings, like an album this good recorded essentially for a thousand dollars per track in the course of seven or eight days. It's that's really something you can, you can hear it and you can feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The immediacy of the album. And I mean, the content of the songs also, Absolutely. You know, there's a, a huge sense of immediacy, which, you know, it, like a lot of great debut albums, you do get the sense of like, oh, these are these are well rehearsed, you know, they are audience tested, mm-hmm. you know, numbers like they're, you know, these are fan favorites. These are band favorites, you know, like there's 10 tracks that are 10 out of 10. And one of the things that I think is so impressive about that it, for a debut album, and like you said, debut albums, I think, can sometimes give a false picture of a band because you do get the first album is normally the one where it's been years and years of making it, years and years of building up a fan base until you finally get to release it. And so that's why so many bands struggle with the sophomore slump. But you and I were talking building up to this the first three arcade fire albums are phenomenal. You get funeral, you get neon Bible, you get suburbs. I mean, the, those first three albums coming out of the gate, I, I can't think of many artists that have ever released three great albums back to back to back to start off a career. I think that's true. I mean, cause I mean, when you go back, of course, like all the big giant rock stars of the sixties and seventies, did it because they you know all these people who hit their perfect periods when they were in their 20s you know there's a number of those but like in the 21st century not so much and a lot of that is also because back in the 60s and 70s when and even in the 80s when bands hit a stride they just like kept making records you'd get a record a year from prince elvis costello the clash beatles dylan bowie stevie you know like they were putting out a record a year or two records a year and then something in the 21st century, people just like really slowed down. And I guess maybe that's because touring was more important than selling records. That's where more of the money is being made. If you want to live, you know, and make, you know, make a living being a musician, you have to tour more than you have to sell records. Uh, that's probably part of it. Um, but yeah, because the distance between all those albums, three years. Yeah. You know, and then later in the decade, when we get debut albums from Fleet Foxes, and Bony Vare and Vampire Weekend, it becomes another thing where the sophomore albums come two years, three years later, and then another four years, five years later, and then another few years. You know, it. Um, you mentioned Sufjan earlier. He now only releases an album 
a proper album, I guess you would say, like once every five years. You know, yeah. Illinois to Carry and Law to Ascension, five years in between all of those. You mm-hmm. know, so um, bands really, really take their time putting out new stuff, but they really hit a stride with these three years in between with that trilogy of albums that is, yeah, pretty, pretty great. And not just recognized you know, as, you know, within indie, indie rock, you know, scenes, but, you know, uh, christened by people like Bowie mm-hmm. who performed, um, with them, some of the songs from this album, David Byrne from Talking Heads appearing on some, you know, B-sides from the suburbs, you know, you know, the, the giants of rock and roll and alternative rock are looking at this and be like, yeah, this is where it's at. This is the, this is the new era right here. I want to go back to something you mentioned that, you know, we talked about this being an album that's recorded over the course of a week and how you can feel the immediacy in that. Yeah. But I also think because of that, the the immediacy you hear in the recording also, I think, really prepares you for what a phenomenal live band Arcade Fire is. And so, you know, again, you talk about how great this album is. And then this is a band that, man, some of those, some of those first festival lineup spots they got some, you know, they've played on SNL a number of times. A lot of those first kind of television appearances. uh, Wow. They, I mean, they conveyed their strength as a live band almost immediately. So this album came out and they also were were really putting their flag in the ground as one of the great new live bands. Yeah, and I want to add to that too because you mentioned that you had first heard them because of the Pitchfork review from a friend. I saw them. That was my my very first experience was seeing them on a Coachella DVD, which must have been Coachella 2005 or 2006. And it was just amazing to to see. You know, just cuz it it was kind of baffling. You're just like, look at it's like, okay, it is kind of like punk rock and, and indie rock and, you know, an alternative rock, whatever, but they're also, but they're wearing suits and there are women there and they're wearing dresses, but like, not like in punk rock fashion with like clothespins or, or, you know, poking through or studs. Like they're just very sincere. They just look like businessmen and, you know, well-dressed women, but, and they're also, I mean, they got the electric guitars, but they're also playing like accordions and violins and, you know, other kind of folk and classical instruments. And then there's just a guy running around the stage who just has a drum that he's just pounding. And then there's just a, a moment where these guys are just 
running around with drumsticks, hitting everything that's on the stage and then just hitting each other. You know, it, it was just like so exciting to watch. And it was just like, it was just a new thing. It, it must have been like, you know, people who got to see like talking heads or something in the late seventies and in, into the early eighties. Like it was just a new thing on stage that I certainly had not seen before. Um, I would have been you know, just, just a teenager um, seeing it, which made it very exciting. Um, but I didn't really, really get into arcade fire till about college is when they actually like meant something to me it was around college. And it was still only at that point, my freshman year of college, there were still only two albums to their name. But there was something about their songs as a young person that just really meant a lot. Like they, like they really seemed to speak to being young and being determined and ambitious, but not even knowing where to put that kind of determination. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like you, you just, you just, you're just filled with all this passion and you don't even know where to put it yet, you know? And, and it's something about their music just kind of really speaks to that. Just like, just the excitement of youth and just kind of like, you know, the, you know, just the idea of looking forward to what's ahead and just not wasting any time getting there, you know, and bringing people along with you which is what I think is exciting about Arcade Fire. You look at the band and it's literal family members and people in relationships and there are men and there are women and there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that great SNL sketch. Do you remember in 2013? New cast member or Arcade Fire? Yes. And that was when uh, Tina hosted. Because mm-hmm. they, they had just, it's when like Sudeikis, Wig, Armisen, like a bunch of people left. And so they had to, fill in a lot of shoes and arcade fire was i think the first musical guest of the season and tina was the first host and they they did that sketch which was uh, pretty great it's time for america's favorite game show yes hello and welcome to new cast member or arcade fire the game is simple Contestants must attempt to tell the difference between a member of Arcade Fire and one of SNL's new featured players. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of them. And so it, the music itself also seemed not just exciting for you personally, but exciting for everyone who was willing to listen to Arcade Fire with you. Mm-hmm. It felt meaningful. You know, and it, it, it made like what you were doing feeling, uh, it made what you were doing feel meaningful, even if it was just being in a car listening to Arcade Fire together. You know, there, there is something very exciting about the first few years of this band and being a young person who was lucky enough to like catch wind of them, you know, at this time. And I, look, we could do an entire episode on how great they've been. They've been on SNL now four times and they've been great every time and they're one of the few musical acts on snl they're in sketches every time that they that they are on as a musical guest and some really great ones too um so there's there's something there's something to be said for that they're they are this kind of fun 
And I, I like kind of the way you put it, this idea of there's a sense of ambition, but not really knowing where to put that energy. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when Funeral came out, they there were a lot of bands around that time that all fit this kind of like strange, like early 2000s, um, early to mid 2000s picture where it's like bands that were intentionally trying to kind of look like they were out of the 19th century. Um, and it's funny, I, I remember when I, uh, so again, I, this is a CD that I bought, How you know, to, to give you a sense of how long it came out. I bought this CD and I remember um, ripping the CD into iTunes back, back when you, you know, back before everyone just used Spotify and Apple music. And I remember that it auto-populated the genre as Baroque pop. <laughs> I was like Baroque pop. I don't even know what that means, but it, it was there, the, there was a, a, a band Devochka, um, the Decemberists, uh, broken social scene. Like there were all these bands that felt very unique. And then even the stuff that Sufjan was doing, like all felt like a part of this like mid two thousands period of time that it was like all slightly weird. And I don't mean that as a pejorative. I mean that in the best way possible. Like it was all slightly off of center. You could just sense there was is like thing of like a, a bunch of different people who were trying new things, trying different things. And yet what seemed to ground Arcade Fire and I think gave them a staying power that a lot of those other acts didn't didn't have beyond the, the mid-2000s was this sense that they were grounded in writing really just solid music. So I think just how good the music is, um, even though it's, you know, played by different instruments, played on different instruments than we're used to seeing and you know the the band is larger and more diverse than a lot of bands we're used to seeing the song and the in the formula for the songs were also just quality they're such, such solid songs that arcade fire very quickly kind of rose above the pack of mm-hmm. a lot of artists they could have immediately kind of fall you know like it could have been, they could have been just another group within a large phase. And so yeah. you think about, you know, when we think back now to like the early nineties and you think about grunge, you know, for every Nirvana or Mudhoney or Pearl Jam or Soundgarden, there were a dozen bands no one remembers now, you know, like mm-hmm. in, and that's the nature of, of kind of musical phases. And so Arcade Fire really avoided being lost in the wash of that that musical phase of the mid 2000s just because yeah. their songwriting was so much better
Well, I also think that something happens in the mid 2000s that, you know, rock is really disappearing and reforming. You know, by the mid 2000s, there aren't rock stars anymore. You know, the idea of the rock star is kind of over with, you know, and, but you're right. They did escape some because, you know, in the early nineties, there's, you know, the, the grunge thing, right. And there were grunge bands, very popular and they were on the radio and they were on MTV and they were household names. They were very popular. They were in tabloids, you know, and then by the mid nineties, it's Britpop, you know, and the, everyone knows the Gallagher brothers and everyone knows the blur versus Oasis, but in, you know, then other people, you know, have their own, like, well, actually super free, super free animals were actually the best band of the, you know, everyone has their, you know, hot takes by the early 2000s. You have your, the, the band, the strokes, the hives, the vines, the white stripes, right. And with the strokes, it's this kind of resurgence of like that gritty New York punk kind of sound. Um, straight out of CBGB listeners, please go back and listen to our strokes episode. If you haven't. And then the mid two thousands, you know, and those bands are still around, but they didn't stick like the hives and the vines certainly fell off. White stripes are still doing great. Um, the strokes have even died down. The ones that you thought were going to through the rest of the decade, like, Hey, they're going to keep rock and roll alive by the third album. People, People really, uh, you know, exit off the, mm-hmm. the the strokes. But then Arcade Fire, you know, and and what what I was thinking about when you made like they're kind of like off to the center, and that's just because all of these bands grab the attention of a certain type of person or types of people, but they didn't necessarily belong together either. Arcade Fire and Sufjan, I don't know, if, have ever shared a bill together, right? They're not going to tour together. You know, so they, but it did fit a certain type of person. If you if you looked a certain way, act a certain way, and were interested in other things, people can kind of assume of you that you listen to these bands, even though these bands didn't necessarily belong together. So things were less clearly defined. There weren't really rock stars. Like even within Arcade Fire, it doesn't have a David. They don't have a David Byrne. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't have those personalities coming through. Those kind of rock star personalities. Yeah, when, you know? I mean, when when Butler might be the closest that you get to that, but but his like he has he has the, um he has the playfulness of a of of a David Byrne, but he doesn't have the like artistic detachment that David Byrne has. David Byrne is cool in a way that Win Butler is not cool. Right, and and if I it feels more put upon. When it, when he tries to do the front man leading man thing, is is not really there. It's 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 more of a, it's definitely like a bit. Yeah. Whereas David Byrne would like say it's a bit, but you're like, well, no, man, you're you're owning this. Like you actually are. You're you're carrying this show here. You're you you are Mick Jagger. You just do it completely differently. Back to what I was saying about them being off to the centers because at the center of the mid two thousands is still hip hop. Mm-hmm. But it's not, even at that point, it's by no means the golden age of hip hop anymore by the mid to late 2000s. Um, you know, so, it, you know, rock music was really having a hard time. 
in the in the 21st century and arcade fire comes along and i think even more than is this it which we were talking about earlier to me what's so great about funeral and exciting about funeral historically now um as it's almost 20 years old yeah Ooh. okay that was the first time i realized that since we've been re-listening to this album yikes um is that more than uh the strokes and is this it and white stripes all that it kind of seems to be the one that has most kind of dictated what rock music is going to look like for the 21st century if it's going to survive and be anywhere close to the mainstream because now i mean rock i mean arcade fire can can do mass and square garden Mm-hmm. A lot of rock bands can do Madison Square Garden, but they're still not going to be on the charts. They can sell gold records. They can sell, but they're not going to, they're not going to be top 40. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 whereas like Nirvana could dethrone Michael Jackson, right? We're, we're past rock music of any derivative, you know, any variety having that kind of power in the mainstream, like among the populace. So I, I, in, in theory, I agree with what you're saying, but especially as I think about this album, it does make me want to push back a little bit because Funeral was one of those albums that, I mean, man, was was on so many, like was the number one album on so many year-end lists of 2004. Mm-hmm. And the end of the decade list for the 2000s, I mean, on nearly every major list that did a best album of the two thousands, it is either one or two. Like it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it it is a highly, highly regarded album. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like as soon as we got past the two thousands, it, it feels a little bit like the appreciation for this album has, has diminished some, I think, especially like you look at the fall that it has taken on the difference, you know, on, on the latest or not the fall, but the, the, the latest Rolling Stone iteration of the 500, the, the, the drop that it took from 2012 mm-hmm. to 2020. Um, I mean, that was a, that was a pretty big drop. It is now the 500th album. It is, yeah. I mean, it is yeah. barely in there. It makes you wonder if, if they do this list again, does arcade, like does funeral stay in there? Right. Well, that's be cool. Also because suburbs, ranked much higher yes on the new list um we'll see i mean but like even on enemies 2013 500 it's in the top 25 i mean it's like and it's even higher than that like it's 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 high up there um but but all that to say like a a a critically beloved album mm -hmm. yet this was not an album that sold in huge numbers still i mean still hasn't like it's not it's not an album that is that is you know even a top even if you confine it just to quote unquote rock it is not a top 20 selling rock album of the last 20 years yeah but like that list is gonna be jacked up anyway all that it's gonna be imagine dragons cold play like it's not even gonna look like rock music sure but the, the reason i wanted to push back though is that for is kind of under the radar as a day out a debut album this good can be it did also produce a top 20 rock single in 
in rebellion lies. Mm-hmm. And it took a few years, but by the time we got to 2006, 2007, 2008, whether it was commercials, whether it was movies, whether like you could, it felt like you couldn't get away from wake up after a while. Like, yeah, it, I mean, and you talk about, you know, this, this kind of almost indie rock band that has this sense of doing the anthemic um, wake up might be the most anthemic song that's come out in the last 20 years. Well, it's the indie rock. We will rock you. Yeah, absolutely. And just just a great a great song and it's one of the things that i think that we talk about a lot and it's one of the things i'm so interested to see what music is going to have what's going to happen in music in the next five years next 10 years next 20 years is what's going to happen as the way we consume music continues to change or continues to shift and people begin writing music who grew up consuming music in different formats as we do get to shorter albums towards more kind of EP or just sing, you know, releasing singles rather than releasing albums. Is it, is it not funeral as an album that we end up thinking about? Is, is it actually wake up as a song that becomes the thing that kind of tethers people to this era of arcade fire? I mean, it just depends on the person. You know, there are people who only liked Arcade Fire because of Wake Up, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because it was it was that big a song. Where it's like even people who were fans of where the wild where the wild things are trailer by Spike Jones, mm-hmm. and you were like, I'm into this song. You know, I have this one song on my iPod, or and maybe it's that. And my body is a cage because you heard it in the Benjamin Button movie trailer. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, it really was Super Bowl commercials, movie trailers. Like, it's just, it really was kind of everywhere. Um, as much as you would hear 
you know, Britney Spears or Beyonce, you know what I mean? It was, it was in that many places yet at the same time, you know, they, they didn't have the celebrity that came with that level of exposure, mm-hmm. um, which is what I think allowed them to keep their kind of indie rock cred um, for a while until they were ready to kind of go full U2 by everything. Now their 2017 album. And I think that's another reason for the decline of funeral Two and arcade fires. I think they've turned off a lot of, people who were really into them with like stuff like everything now. And a lot of people took the ramp off when reflector came out, but everything now in the way that that album was promoted was very strange. And also a lot of the kind of the aspects that you would attribute to arcade fire really got bastardized by a lot of bands. I mean, it really took by about 2012 all of a sudden you would hear things like uh, Lumineers of Monsters and Men. Yeah. And all, all of a sudden, to some extent, maybe Mumford. Yeah. You know, you, know, you would get these kind of... The weird you group of the weird group of like early 2010s, um, you know, ho, ho, people, hey, people ho, who were... Hey, banjo music. Yeah, the, the kind of the, the, the ho-hey stomping... Mm-hmm. big hats and like suspenders kind of look. And, you know, we were talking about this on our emo episode too. It's like by the time emo became a fashion thing, it was, it was, it was over. It was over. Yeah. And so like, by the time you have like all these like bands really having top 40 hits dressing like they like arcade fire did maybe 10 years ago and kind of latching onto like the, kind of what people liked about Arcade Fire, like with their hose and their haze and, you know, the shouting and like the group shouting kind of stuff. You get like pop groups seeing Edward Sharp in the Magnetic Zeros. They're another one, you know, another kind of group that did this. A, a big group, mm-hmm. husband and wife kind of thing, wearing kind of, you know, you know trousers and <laughs> shit like that. You know, and then all of a sudden that becomes the thing. It's like, oh, well, you can kind of draw the line to Funeral from that. So it looks like Funeral has been one of the most influential albums of the last 10 years, but it got to this point that's kind of obnoxious. Yeah, it's it's a thing that, something that felt like so unique and so completely their own in, <laughs> in 2004. And then by the time you get to the end of the decade, it's it's almost like all right any any band any band that is uh wearing leather suspenders is yeah you know like that's yeah it just became a th- yeah it just became you know like the 21st century coffee house rock i guess you know just like it's became like another kind of fad another kind of thing that i think you could attach to arcade fire particularly this era of arcade fire cuz by the time so many bands were doing that. Arcade Fire was already doing something completely different. They were perform. It was the you know the Reflector era. By the time all that you know kind of stuff caught on, they were wearing big giant paper mache heads and playing secret shows as a band called the Reflectors. You know they were doing like the the opposite thing. Mm-hmm. They're like they're like shit. We gotta like 
we gotta like we gotta adjust we gotta recalibrate this thing and then which is weird because then by the fight by the follow-up album they're just like let's go big let's do it let's lean in and take a quick break let you hear from today's sponsor anchor and tell you about our independent record store of the week i think this is our very first ever independent record store of the week located in canada so you're going to hear all about that and then we'll be back with more talk about arcade fires funeral I want to tell you about today's independent record store of the week, Sonic Boom Music in Toronto, Ontario. Sonic Boom Music is located at 215 Spadina Avenue in Toronto, Ontario. They are open 364 days a year, noon to 8 p.m. You can reach them at 416 532 0334 or you can reach them on their website sonicboommusic.com they have one of the largest selections of new and used vinyl in canada and almost all of it is available for purchase on their website so visit their website today and consider picking up arcade fires funeral from them today
So Funeral is a debut and it's such a strong debut. And, and again, I think Funeral also benefits from the fact that it's 10 songs, about 48 minutes. Perfect, um, right? Such, I, such five a, songs on each side of the record. Yeah, and and four of the four of the five songs on side A are neighborhood songs. So there's neighborhood number one, two, three, and four mm-hmm. um, that are that are split by a, a a song name in French. Yeah, and then you get to that side two. They that's where the big hits are. Yeah, wake up in rebellion. They're mm-hmm. some of the last. It's just like you know, which any other band they had front loaded, right? They they might open with wake up or rebellion or something, right? But they but they don't even close with either of those two either. I mean, like it's, it seems like very intentionally. I mean, even the way it's sequenced isn't a cliche. I mean, there's nothing cliche about this at the time. A lot of these things have become cliches, but at the time it was so fresh, so exciting and just like kind of a reboot Mm -hmm. to indie rock. And, And then they follow it up with neon Bible, which is a, a really strong album. Um, again, an, an album that if they had been, if, if, if they had released neon Bible as a 10 track album, I, I, I think you pull 10 tracks out of neon Bible and it's a, it's a phenomenal album. I think it's a good album, but I think it's a phenomenal album. If you kind of cut the fat off of it, I'll tell you the easiest fix for neon Bible, cut the opening track, black mirror, make the title song neon Bible, the first track, then have that go in to keep the car running and then mm-hmm. don't change anything else you cut black mirror tile track is the opener an even better album that, yeah. that could rival funeral honestly because yeah but you know what what's also very fun about them is each album really has a theme mm-hmm. and we'll we'll come back to what funerals is or maybe because it's something they continue to lean into more like neon Bible named after the novel uh, by the same person who did Confederacy of Dunces. And it's, it's very much about religion and the influence of religion. And then reading things like Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson. And then like listening to the suburbs at the same time, she's like, all this makes like, this is like the suburbs when it came out to me, I was like, Oh, this is the great, this is what the great American novel has become. Mm-hmm. Now the great American novel is is concept albums like Sufjan's Illinois, Arcade Fires, The Suburbs. Like this is, it's the same thing with how Ginsburg talks about crying when he heard Bob Dylan um, for the first time because he's like, these are the new poets. Like they're we're out of business. Mm-hmm. You know that that's kind of how I felt about those kind of like great big indie concept albums. You know, and and Reflector also has. They, 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 they hold on to that religion thing and existentialism. So, you know, like I was listening to Reflector again today and I finally realized that I guess finally latched onto the lyric, you know, something like while you were playing, praying to the resurrector, turns out it was just a reflector. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a statement. You know, that that's, that's pretty great. Um, and for a song that's kind of dressed up like a, you know, eighties Bowie, remain in light kind of thing. Like there's actually some like really intense, you know, religion stuff that they're continuing to, to flesh out there. Mm-hmm. And then everything now I think is just, just a bummer, but funeral to me has a theme, but because maybe it's not 
burdened by being a concept album, maybe that makes it better. And Funeral does a lot of the same things that The Suburbs does, but without having to be named something, called something that lends itself to, hey, this is the theme. Hey, grab onto this. Even though they're, you know, the songs Neighborhoods 1, 2, 3, and 4. You know, that that's the only kind of like indicator that like, oh, there's a through line here. But it's not like the suburbs where it's like, oh, but within these four songs, there's not like a narrative. Mm-hmm. And there's there isn't like there aren't like recurring characters, there aren't recurring lyrics. There there are some recurring images what do and you, ideas. What do, you, what do you think those are? So for, for you, you're talking about uh, about a, a kind of theme or or imagery or images that kind of come up in yeah. in funeral. What do you think those are? For funeral, it's just like ideas or a word. And a lot of it has to do with kind of like these like dichotomies or binaries, being asleep versus being awake. That comes up quite a lot. I mean, most obviously there's a song called Wake Up, but even with Rebellion, right is there's a lot of stuff about sleeping in right and you would die you know faster than without water you know it's like talking about the immediacy of the album i think a lot of it has to do with time in general and, and about youth like hey youth is only so long right get moving right you can't sleep in right you can't you know just wait for something to happen you got to wake up go you know run in the streets running you know whatever you know there's something in you that needs to get out you're passionate about something you're young find out what it is and grab onto it and you know let it go Mm -hmm. you know and if you're into arcade fire and you're and you and all your buddies play music well that's easy for you it's like oh yeah well we're just gonna you know we're already in rock band and we love this stuff so we'll just kind of you know channel it there, you know, and in, in, in our performances or in what we're writing or whatever, you know, so that's very easy, but I feel like it's very easy to apply it from a filmmaking perspective and a literary perspective. I mean, so many filmmakers love Arcade Fire. Mm-hmm. You hear their music in Spike Jones. you hear it um, in Richard Linklater's Boyhood. I mean, they, you know, they, they attract people who, who make things and want to make things and desire to make things and feel like, that compulsion to always be moving forward and always be creating and always be doing something right. That's that's inside and somehow getting it out, you know, whatever that medium, right. Maybe, you know, it's just, it's just inspiring, but there, there are no lyrics that are meant to inspire. It's not like all the, you can't take like their lyrics and turn them into posters like those, you know, like, like an inspirational posters or Tumblr posts or anything. Cause like I said, like it's devoid of cliches, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not a cliche thing. It's not, it's not corny. You know, by the time we start talking about it like this is going to sound corny, but yeah. So yeah, th- those are the images for me, you know, sleeping and, and, and being awake and, and the need to, you know, be awake and do something while you're awake. Love is made 
so hey so let's let's talk about then a, a really a tight album um so maybe asking because really asking for your five favorite tracks on a 10 on a 10 track album is saying like which half is your favorite um yeah I think we're both on the same page. There's not a bad song. I mean, these are 10 really solid tracks. It's a, it's a phenomenally well put together album. I think the argument for why as good as those first three albums are, the reason that funeral I think is the obvious pick for us is it's the tightest of those albums. And Mm -hmm. the fact that it's the debut, like that's, that's an awfully tight album to come out as your debut album. Um, and and so there's, there's just some, there's, there's a magic in that album that is good as, is neon Bible and as good as the suburbs are. It's, it's not, it's not quite the same. And also, I mean, just, just the way it's produced, you know, there, there's a giant leap in production from funeral to neon Bible. I mean, like you said, $10,000, I mean that, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's rough around the edges funeral, Mm -hmm. but that's what's, also was really great about it. You know, the, the guitar tones are crunchy, you know, um, some of the vocals when they, when they're really loud, they, they, they peak a little bit, you know, it's, you know, it, there's, it's raw. It, it is, you know, and it takes these, these like themes that are in the suburbs that are kind of spelled out and laid out for you, but they're also in funeral, but it's in like the tone. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to say it. It's felt. It's realized. You don't have to say it out loud. It's right there in how the music sounds and feels when you hear it, which is what kind of elevates it. Limitations are inspiring for creativity in a way that do whatever you want is not. And so yeah, I, I think that that sense of like, hey, like we've we've got we've got a week to record all this. We don't have much time. We don't have much money like call it hunger, call it energy, call it immediacy. Like, yes, it's an album that's rough around the edges, but there's an excitement on that mm-hmm. album that is palpable. Arcade Fire is as tremendous and as talented as they are. Like the, the funeral is not in them anymore. Like the, the next great album Arcade Fire is going to make is not going to be another funeral. It's going to be when they figure out who it is they're going to be moving forward. Yeah. I think the easiest way to sum it up might be that like in terms of what it feels like listening to it, the perception of it when you listen to it is like funeral is the album that like it has to get made like this yeah. just like like it this has to get made we have to get this on record like this has to get made and the and, and you know now it kind of feels like well we are a band right so let's put an album out mm-hmm. you know and here here are some things that we think and that we believe and they don't you know it's it's so explicit in a way that it's just like we've kind of taken the piss out of it like you were just so literal about it you you said it rather than conveyed it yeah 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 that's a good way of putting it
Makai and I have both shared with each other our five favorite songs each from from this album. And not surprisingly, for an album that is only 10 tracks long, we have four in common. And so let's talk about the four we have in common. Neighborhood One and Neighborhood Three, Tunnels and Wake and Power Out, Wake Up and Rebellion. Yeah. So let's let's start with Neighborhood One, Tunnels. Man, what's great about this song? I mean, this is the way it starts, right? It doesn't really start like a rock record. It sounds fairy tale-ish, right? Kind of in the beginning. And maybe maybe it even has a little bit of a story tell kind of element to it. It, it. You could see very easily why this would be this band would be connected to like where the wild things are when you hear something like this. Because, you know, if my parents are crying, then I'll dig a tunnel from my window to yours. Bringing up childhood like that, you know, with your parents. It's just like it's 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 the most universal story. Right. I mean, like it's, it, you know, very relatable, but not in the way like the black eyed peas are relatable. And then you have this weird image, right, digging a tunnel. But from my window to your window, really, which I've always thought that that's kind of weird. You don't really, why would you dig, you know, from window? You know, that, that, I always found that to be like kind of an interesting mm-hmm. image. That um, just kind of, yeah, just, just makes it a little bit more interesting, right? Childhood, something about escape, a, a reference to sleep in here also. Sleeping in my head, right, is the line. You know, and it's just something that it's it's a perfect kind of preface or you know opening to this album and this band in general. Tunnels, Neighborhood One. So Neighborhood One, which is also called Tunnels. Not only is it the first single from this album, this is actually this single actually came out months before the album did. So the single comes out in June, and the album doesn't come out until September. Um, and so it's, re- it's released as a seven inch single, um, in Canada. It's odd considering what a great opener this is to the album and, and kind of what a, what a, like a warm, like stage opening this is for the album. The fact that it was released as the first single, cause it's not, when you hear this album, it, it doesn't stand out to you as being the first single. Like if, if you yeah. were if you were someone working for a record company, if you worked for, you know, if you worked for the label, you don't hear tunnels and go, that's it. That's that's the hit. That's yeah. gonna really move some copies. It's not an obvious hit, and it's not really an obvious opener either. Yeah. Um but it's a it's, but but it's a really great song. And again, yeah, it, yeah. it functions so well in this album it's one of those things where you you're first listening to it it starts kind of fantastical and you hear that voice mm-hmm. and you're like well it's not a very interesting voice you know it's not it's not a beautiful voice it's not like a it's not cool like julian casablanca's or you know it's just like well you know what what is this thing and, the, and then the chorus kicks in oh now i think i have an idea of who this is and what this is and his voice, uh, he's a little bit maybe almost right at the end of his vocal range. Yeah, I mean, so say what you want about about when when Butler, he's 
really a, a great songwriter and and I, and I think he is he's a unique singer but he is not a great singer right but i i wouldn't i mean like i think the vocal performance like in this song in particular is it is great yeah and and as and as you and i have talked about before you're you really define someone's quality as a singer by by whether or not you believe they mean it that that there is there is there is a hundred percent authenticity in when Butler's vocals. I would, and there are a lot of Arcade Fire songs that I don't know the lyrics to, but I believe it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Passion over precision, baby. That's me. Yeah, and that's just, and that that's what this this opener gives you. It it is passionate, and it's about you know something about childhood, and then really uh, we get a jump cut right, and then also you know they're naming babies. Hmm. They're forgetting their names and there's more stuff about, about bedrooms. It's very domestic. It's not, it's not out of reach. You know what I mean? Like this, is this is something that, that you feel like I've lived this and I've realized this. So this is something that I can work with as someone who also wants to make music. Well, let's go to the next song that we have in common. Neighborhood three power out, which again, a, a a really really great song but lyrically what may be the sometimes the darkest song on the album yeah and of course right how does it start you woke up right <laughs> yeah it, it, everything is about whether or not you're asleep and whether you're awake and what you're doing in that time yeah you woke up the power's out there's kids dying in the street but you woke up still <laughs> yeah but then it does have this like really hopeful refrain like the powers out in the heart of man take it from your heart put it in your hand it does have this sense of we're gonna fix the things that are wrong there there is a there's a power in that like in many ways power out is a protest song a protest song for a young person yeah that's, that's yeah, exactly yeah. yeah you know i'm just looking at the lyrics again it's like man they're just like perfect you know, it's all about waking up, right? And, and light and darkness. Like it's it's real strict binaries and dichotomies. You know, I went out into the night. I went out to find some light. Kids are swinging from the power lines. Nobody's home, so nobody minds. So I was a latchkey kid, you know, for a good part. You know what I mean? It's just like I get this. I know what this is. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. I woke up on the dark. You know, the darkest night. You know, I went out into the night. I went out to pick a fight with anyone. That's like a Rolling Stones lyric. <laughs> yeah. Know? Going out picking fights, light a candle for the kids. Jesus Christ, don't keep it hid. Is it a dream? Is it a lie? I think I'll let you decide. Just light a candle for the kids. Jesus Christ, right? Don't keep it hid. You know, it's just that the in the in the intensity of, of the way that they they sing and perform that song. Oh man, I that that's when I would walk around the mm-hmm. streets at night. Even in St. Augustine, yeah, you know, I just put that in the headphones. I walk around, man. I was ready to fuck anybody up. Like I, like it, like it. It was just like, it is intense. Like it, it like really grabs a hold of you. And it's and it's weird because it's like very distorted guitars, um, but it's being carried really by like a dance beat. Boom, cat, boom, cat, cat, boom.
The next song we have in common, of course, is it, it's still in my mind because of how ubiquitous it is. The huge song of the album. Yeah. And that's Wake Up. And yet, for being the huge song of the album, it is the last single released from the album. It comes out, the single comes out more than a year after the album does. Is this a Merge Records decision? Is this an Arcade Fire decision? How, how do you not hear Wake Up and go, yeah, there it is. Like, there's there's your hit. And, and the idea that it's the last single released from the album, um, you know, more than a year after it comes out, still blows my mind. And it does, you know, it, it takes no time at all. It is, you know, by the end of the 2000s, it is, you know, top 25 song of the 2000s. NME says that it is the 15th best song of all time. Like, the, mm-hmm. there is so much love for this song. And had they stopped releasing singles from it a month earlier that would have been it. Like you never would have heard this released as a single, but as soon as this was released as a single, it took over the world. Yeah. It's, I mean, it had just kind of like a weird role, like weird kind of rollout. You know, it's just like, if you bought the album in 2004, you heard it then. Mm-hmm. And if you saw the Coachella thing, like you saw it then. And if you, and then if you saw the trailer for where the wild things are, you saw that. And then like the next year, Super Bowl commercial and then I mean like it had like a six year period of just growing on everyone mm-hmm. and capturing the imagination of little indie kids to football arenas like the biggest possible audience you know what I mean like it's you know it, it's it's crazy that a song uh, can do that but Rob this is a song that you and I used to play together and again this I, I was I was thinking about that is we're I mean this this is a song that we would we play together on Thursday nights. Like it's just, it's such a, and, and really it's an, it's a song. The entire song is four chords. Like, I mean, it's mostly one. It's mostly that yeah, C. Yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. And just boom, psh, boom, boom. Psh. And that's, I mean, it literally is. We will rock you. Boom. It, psh, yeah. Boom, boom. Psh. I mean, it, it is, but it's, it's that, it's interesting that we think when we think anthemic, what we're thinking about is songs that are really very simple, like simple, simple in their construction, but it also taps into something that big, that build up the, like essentially Mm -hmm. it's a soccer chant song. and, And that's what it is now. Like there, there are three premier leagues. There are three premier league clubs in England that that essentially use the opening of wake up as their as their soccer chants at the start of at the start of their uh football matches like so i mean it's but it has that sense that that thing that moves beyond that moves beyond lyrics the the oh like the the same thing that seven nation army has like that that Mm -hmm. You know, something where it's just like it's it's a melody that becomes infectious. Like and and so mm-hmm. because the melody gets in you, the lyrics could be completely meaningless because of how infectious the melody is. Yeah. Then wake up ends up being if there is one, like it ends up becoming kind of the thesis statement of the album. 
you know, like children wake up, hold your mistake up. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> like bef- before they turn the summer into rust, like, like this, this idea that like, Hey, like we're, we're running out of time. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's a wild one. Um, but I've also been tracking the evolution of it in another way too, is how the, the band, they said that when they played it in like small, small clubs and small venues, they thought of it as like an attack song, mm-hmm. like an attack on the audience. Yeah. Like, like, Hey, you're with us or you're against us, you know, like that kind of attitude with it. And then it became like, instead of, you know, an attack on the audience it became for the audience. It became like the big sing-along song in their set that that brought them together with the audience more than any other songs could you know and now i wonder how they feel about it i wonder if they feel like the song even belongs to them anymore now that belongs to soccer teams and yeah you know i i wonder i wonder if if it means anything to them still and i wonder what it's like at their shows if, if it feels like you know, like, hey, this this was our thing. This this was Arcade Fire's thing, and then it was Arcade Fire fans. It was their thing that they shared with the band. And now it's, I wonder if it's kind of been diluted. I wonder if it means less to fans now or if it means less to the band. I, you and I have talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but I know you and I have talked about this personally. I, so I really love Jack White and I love the White Stripes. But when you think of like, all right, what's the what's the really great White Stripes hit? Seven Nation Army ends up becoming the one that comes to mind. But like the life that Seven Nation Army has developed since since it was released has almost nothing to do with the White Stripes. Yeah. Like it's in and I I wonder if that's what it is for wake up for arcade fire like i i wonder if it's just they you know essentially for a song this big and this anthemic it's recorded over a day and a half in canada you know with ten thousand dollars worth of studio time Uh and now it is a song that you know, has appeared on Super Bowls, was, you know, was used by the Olympic Committee to, you know, to put the promotional stuff together for Los Angeles to try to get the Olympic Games in 2028. And like, so all of these things, like, it's just, it's become so much bigger than them. at, At what point, at what point is it kind of like having a kid? You know, like, is at what point is like, all right, you had a role in it and raising it, but like, yeah. it's not like your kid ever stops being yours, but at a certain point, like they're, they're going to live their own life. Right. And it almost feels like wake up has become, wake up has become a song bigger than the band. No, I think that's true. I mean, I feel like a lot of creators must feel this too. Like just think about George Lucas and just how people feel about star Wars, you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, like, like Chewbacca or Luke Skywalker, or Darth Vader. That's my guy. And then George Lucas was like, no, that's mine. Yeah. I, 
I, I created that. That's my guy. But Darth Vader belongs to everybody. I listened to um, Seth Green on a podcast um, talking and he like takes toys with him and takes pictures of them and all over the world where he goes. And he, he said he went to, to Africa, somewhere in Africa with children who do not speak English, do mm-hmm. not. And they would just go R2D2, Darth Vader. See, you know what I mean? It's like these yeah. things are the, the, the outline of Darth Vader's helmet is as recognizable as the cross. Yeah. You know, these, you know, these things have just, taken over they, they belong to everyone now the Beatles in general are like that you know like no one you know there, there are no like Beatles fans we're all Beatles fans you know what I mean like, you know you're, and, you're not a special club to be like I'm one of those Beatles fans you you may not have met anyone like me I'm a Beatles fan you know like there, there's no such person you know and, and and that's what I wonder like for something for something like that this song that now like can it can it truly belong to them anymore if it belongs to everyone you know what i i've been thinking about too because i said at the top of the pod that these songs used to mean so much to me you know i thought about like is it because i was so young and, and so much of it is about youth and seems like that there's an optimism there like there's, there's a lot of opportunity for you to to seize you know, if, if, if you have the right passion, you know, that just that's just kind of the sense you get from it as a young listener. But now it's just like, I, I think personally, like maybe wake up doesn't mean wake up in particular. I mean, as much as it doesn't belong to me anymore. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is I wake up is one of those songs that I think about when like my wife and I were dating before you're married, like when we would go on drives and roll the windows down and scream, you know, sing at the top of our lungs. Like, Mm -hmm. like when I listen to wake up now, it makes me feel nostalgic, not empowered. Yeah. Like, yeah. In some ways it's almost become a little bittersweet now. Yeah. Because it's because not that the song has changed, but because I'm not the same person. Yeah. And I think that's how it is for me too. It's just like, Cause I'll hear him like, man, I, cause there, there was a time where I could throw that on and just, and just get amped. You know what I mean? It's just like, I, I and now when I hear it, it's just like, man, I God, I wish I could feel that way about it again. I mm-hmm. wish I could get there again, but now I just remember all the times when it, it did get me at like that, that great emotional, just like pure elation but it is it is truly a great the i mean the the guitar tone could not be any more perfect mm-hmm. you know the the way that the drums are recorded which are not recorded like really they're not it's not a big drum sound the drums sound like they're in the room with you they're they're not they're not dressed up production wise you know which is another thing that i think makes it feel so great is that it it does feel in the room and then of course there's the big choir and the it becomes a little bit more orchestral. Um, and then there's a, well, we haven't talked about the very end of the song. It, it, it becomes a bouncier kind of thing. You know, uh, and it becomes really bouncy and then just the very arcade fire, you know, just that, that button at the end, you know, better look out below. Yeah. You know, it just, it, it's just great.
so moving on now to moving on from the kind of ubiquitous song from this album into the highest charting single that Arcade Fire has had to date. Really? Yeah, peaking at number 19 is on what chart? Um both the US and UK singles charts. It was named in May of 2007 by NME as the number 29 as the 50 greatest indie anthems ever. Um Blender magazine in their list 500 greatest songs since 500 greatest songs since you were born it was number 380. Um, Pitchfork said number 69 in their top 500 tracks of the 2000s. NME ranked it as the ninth best song of the 2000s. Yeah. And of course, the opening line, right? I mean, this this is the whole album right here, right? Mm -hmm. Sleeping in is giving in. Yep. Right? I mean, it. everywhere you look on this album, right, it, this is what it keeps coming back to. Sleeping in is giving in. It, that, I mean, it's so perfect for this album. It's so great. Where, yeah, people say that your dreams are the only things that save you. Come on, baby, in our dreams, we can live our misbehavior. It's mm-hmm. like, and that, 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 that to me is arcade fire. So the further away they get from we can live our misbehavior, the further away they get from that, the less interested I become in them, I think, because that to me, that that's the image of them and what is appealing about them to me are, are those kinds of lines and those, th- th- those attitudes, mm-hmm. you know, not, not even the line itself, like, Oh, what a great line, but like, that's a great attitude <laughs> to have, you know, um, you know, hide in front of your brother underneath the covers, you know, it's just like this. I mean, as a young, it doesn't get like much better. I mean, this, yeah, this, like for me, like this is like this is my let's get it started by Black Eyed Peas. Like this is what gets me mm. like at the time, like what what got me going, what gets me going. You know what I mean? Like so what how other people feel about like Black Eyed Peas or turned down for what or something like that's what like this song did for me. They don't play punk music, but they play with punk energy. They play with punk enthusiasm. It's a it's a live wire, even, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't sound like the Ramones or the Clash. Rebellion is one of those songs by the Arcade Fire. It has that much immediacy to it. It has that much energy to it. It has yeah. like it it is visceral and angry. And yeah, I mean it's it's I mean it's it's, it's all a vocal performance. Yeah. I mean, like I mean you have this kind of like straightforward baseline that boom 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 you know just pretty straightforward anyone who's ever picked up a bass that that's something where like we could have like a friend of ours if 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 we have a drummer and a guitarist in a room and we have a friend it's like hey you've never played bass before do this boom 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 okay great and and go you know you can you can put that together you can put that act together pretty quickly with what they've given you on that track even wake in wake up too right anyone can grab a drum who's never played drums or music before and be part of a band playing an epic song but rebellion has it and that that that's punk rock too right there's kind of an amateurism to it right that was part of the appeal going Mm -hmm. to see the clash is like wait a minute 
they're using the same amps I have at home. Yeah. I'm 14. You know, that's Tom Morello's story. That's not mine. Um, you know, it's like, wow. You hear all these stories about band, you know, bands getting started because they went to go see the clash one night or Nirvana one night. And then the next day formed a band. And that's what Arcade Fire did. I think for a lot of people who are, you know, my age in particular, where it's just like, well, anyone can do boom, psh, boom, boom, psh, wang, gang, 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 you know, yeah. any, anyone can do that. You're not going to do it great, but you're going to have a fucking blast doing it. When you're young enough, the simple fact that you're approximating it feels like magic in a way that like, by the time you're later into your adult life, it's just like, Oh, well, it's not, it's not good. Like it gets there's in, and maybe those voices are all just in our heads. Like maybe, maybe the voices as we get older, the, the voices externally have just switched to becoming our internal voices. And so that willingness to try new things, that willingness to fail, that willingness to like go through, Hey, I'm not going to be great at it, but I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. Like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's what it is. And, and yet it seems it's almost like this whole song is a denunciation of all of both of those external and internal voices. Like, Hmm. like the, 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 the repeated, the repeated line is lies, lies. Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every time you close your eyes, lies, lies. The, the idea that dreams are for your sleeping life rather than your waking life are all lies. Like it, Mm -hmm. it, it really, you know, again, to tie that theme in, like, it's it's a song that's saying, like, no, no, your dreams are for your waking life. Your dreams are for, like, go do it right now. Not, yeah. not close your eyes and think about it. Yeah, sleeping like, and giving in. Rob, I have a bone to pick with ourselves. Um, in season one, at the end of each episode, we would ask each other, you know, is this album, 
you know, worthy of being in our first 25 albums and our way to get to 100 greatest albums of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, is the, you know uh, and we did not do that for Aretha Franklin or Frank Ocean. Maybe they just felt so obvious to us in the moment that we didn't have to ask the question. Uh, but this album might be different. Um, we saw this album drop to 500 on the Rolling Stone list. It seems like it's maybe losing its influence. You and I have said it doesn't mean as much to us anymore. Mm, yeah, so, or different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So does this album then belong on because for season two we're we're getting to fifty albums. That's our goal. Mm-hmm. You know, halfway to our one hundred albums. Does this album belong on that? list of 50 on our way to the top 100 greatest albums of all time um if you're asking me 100 greatest albums of all time i think funeral makes that list for me so considering we're putting our list together with the ultimate goal of getting to 100 yes i think this is among the 100 greatest albums of all time yeah, and if yeah. that's if that's the barrier of entry in into our list then this is this is one of those um, I, I have no question about that. Now, again, 10 years from now, um, I might think differently as, I mean, as my kids get older, um, you know, as we buy a new house, uh, you know, look, I, I, I may have, I may have a greater affinity for the suburbs um, than I do for funeral. But even though how this album makes me feel has changed over the last 18 years, it has not lost a thing for me in terms of its quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, and I stand by this album. It is, it is, it is a 10 track tight debut album with magic and energy and immediacy. And I still love these songs. And for, I mean, for me, Arcade Fire may have been on my first round of album picks. If I, knew where I fell. It took me until season two because I really was split between funeral and the suburbs, which is partially why I couldn't stop talking about the suburbs tonight either. Cause I really do love that album. Yeah. You know, and, and, and for me, look, I'm, I'm also a huge fan. I feel like neon Bible of those three albums. I feel like neon Bible is the one that gets left out from getting it's, it's praise. Like it, oh, it's absolutely. a great album. No, agree. Um, so, but thinking about this list, I mean, I think it is a top 10 for the decade. For that decade, it's in the top 10 with, is this a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, right? The other ones that we talked about in the previous season. It's in that league. We could make, it could so easily become a list that's just like 80% albums from the 70s. And like the 60s and 70s. Like it, it's very easy to just like, overwhelm it with the same few artists from like a 20 year period. If it's in the top, if there's a top 10 albums from the two thousands, then those 10 albums should probably be on here. And this one is, is definitely on there. It's, it's a top 10 for the two thousands. It's a top 25 debut album. Probably. Yeah, I agree. You know? Um, So that's worth something. And, you know, and in the end, this is our list. Mm-hmm. And this album 
meant a great deal to me. It meant a great deal to the people around me. And it meant a great deal to us for a long time, actually. It's something that we were listening to for a long time mm-hmm. and coming back to for a long time and still coming back to. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I still, I listen to, you know, for all the vinyl album, for all the albums I own on vinyl, I could probably tell you right now, there's about 20 of them that I listen to on a monthly basis. And this is one of them. Well, listener, what do you think? Let us know. Of course, reach out to us on Instagram at you forgot one on Twitter at you forgot one pod, our website, you forgot one.com. And we look forward to seeing you back next week with a new episode. Cheese.